Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. And a good afternoon and evening for everybody listening in to the Water Zone Show. We're your hosts, Rob Starr and Mr. Chris Davey, and we are happy to be here on a kind of brisk day. And uh, we're experiencing all different kinds of weather in the different parts of the country where we all are today. So, Mr. Davey, how are you doing today? I'm going to tell you, Rob Starr, brisk only scratches the surface, my friend. It snowed here in where I live in the upper San Gabriel Valley in uh, California today. Did you make a snowman? Not that much snow. <laughs> it didn't stick around too long, but uh, you know, it coated the car for you know forty-five minutes or so, and and uh, then disappeared. But we don't we don't see that very often here in Southern California, buddy. And it's more to come. So this is just the first of three waves that are coming between now and uh, sun, uh, early Sunday morning. That's what I hear. We'll check in with. Uh, oh, we can check in now. Miss Chris Austin, the purveyor of Maven's Notebook. She is the most influenced person in the water business. So, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you all doing? Wonderful, Chris. We'd be fine. So, yeah, as, as, as Chris was saying, that there's going to be some major storms, and they think that'll determine, actually, this month and next month, if the drought's going to continue or not. That's, well, that's you, what... Yeah, I mean, it, it It really, you know, the, the big the big moment is, is how much do we have left on the ground and on April 1st. And so, you know, time is, is ticking away towards April 1st. But uh, certainly we're getting some more storms. Uh, so that's good news. It's cold, cold weather and some snow up there in the mountains. Looks like this storm is headed more into Southern California and not so much in Northern California, although we're expected to get rain and snow um, as well. But it looks like the the force is really hitting uh, Southern California with some unusually cold and snowy weather. So I'm, I'm glad not to be in Southern California this weekend. Uh, well, you know, coming, driving back from my office in California to here, uh, it was, I got past Indio and further into the desert, man, it was freezing cold and the wind was like 40, 50 miles an hour. It was blowing cars all over the freeway. Really, really cold. So Yeah, so we're getting some, we're getting some uh, uh, winter weather out here and apparently they're baking in the east. So, uh, you know, we have a, a split country in terms of temperatures, you know. I think I, I remember reading somewhere record heat in parts of the east so yep. you know here we you're are correct. you're correct orlando was 84 today chris 84 and it was yeah. 80 in in atlanta yeah hey they got our weather or they got southern california's weather uh <laughs> but any rate yeah so well good for us we need the snow we need the the cold uh you know so uh it's it's good um, and a sign of improving things was uh, yesterday the uh, Bureau of Reclamation released their water allocation for the Central Valley Project. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, it, you know, uh, also the Department of Water Resources uh, 
issued a modest update to the state water project. It's a much more straightforward system, the state water project. And so everybody on that system is getting uh, 35% of their usual amount, uh, which is much better than the 5% that we've had the last few years. Um, The Central Valley project, which last few years hasn't, I mean, there's some farmers that haven't received any water for at least two, possibly three years. Um, they they issued their allocation. Uh, their allocation is much more complex because there's a lot of old water rights and, you know, if, if Shasta is a critical year, then it affects certain categories of contractors. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, but so some of the contractors with the some of the oldest rights are getting a hundred percent of their allocation, um, and the Friant Division, which is over outside of Fresno, they're also getting a hundred percent. And then uh, the other agricultural contractors in the San Joaquin Valley and the Sacramento Valley will get thirty-five percent. So uh, not a lot of water for them, but but there's some water for everybody this year as long as conditions hold. Reclamation did make it clear that, you know, we're still not through to the end of the year uh, or, did it, you know, we're not through to the end of the snow season, which is comes April 1st. So things can change. Um, it, it wouldn't be unheard of, but we're looking pretty good so far this year. That's a good thing. I saw that Newsom um, was putting more measures in to divert water from the Delta, which affects all the little baby salmon getting out to the ocean. Well, what what he's done is uh, he issued an executive order that uh, allows the state water board to relax uh, the water regulations in the Delta so that they can pump more more water uh, out of the Delta. And this is, it's always a, a very controversial thing uh, when you when you ask the government to, you know, suspend their regulations. But we've, we've done it for the last uh, several years in the drought years. Um, it's, a, it's a really, it's a, one of those situations that is just kind of hard on both sides. Uh, because what the environmentalists say is that all these regulations have all been hammered out uh, a long time ago about, you know, so when, if it's a really dry year, then the water agency said, okay, then if it's a dry year, we will only pump this much and we will, you know, and and they, they came up with the plan of how they would operate if it was a really bad drought year. So, we get a really bad drought year, then, you know, what's been happening is then the, the uh, water agencies go to the state water board and they say, well, I, we know that we said that that's what we would do in a dry year, but, you know, now we have these conditions and these conditions are outside of, you know, and much more severe than anything we've ever anticipated. So, we can't do that now. And, you know, it's one of those situations where I think both sides are kind of right. Uh, 
you know, if you hammer this all out ahead of time, then when push comes to shove and it's hard to do, you still need to do what you agreed to do. (laughs) But also, on the other hand, we're being handed conditions that we haven't seen before. Um, You know, this has been the problem, uh, and they've been working at, at improving the models for runoff forecasting and trying to figure out what's going on, um, but it really seems to be that there's just not as much water as there used to be coming down from the mountains, not as much as we would expect, given, you know, history with the amount of snow that's up there. So, you know, it's uh, it's definitely a difficult situation. The big, the big difference here is in temperature. Uh, it's We've been having a lot of hotter drought, and with the exception of this winter, it seems to me this winter is, is a much colder winter. Certainly, we're having much more uh, precipitation, so that's a good thing. But when we have hot drought, uh, you know, the heat changes so much on the landscape. It changes how much water the trees take up in the forest and all the vegetation on the land, how much, you know, if it, if it's hotter, they need more water and that they take that water. So, you know, the, the heat just changes everything. You're absolutely absolutely right. It's, you know, I, 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 I know the weather is, it is what it is, but I know a lot of farmers are talking about finding new ways to pump, pump that runoff water back into the ground. I know the floods, waters, and stuff, because we we really need to find a way to capture all that water when it comes, and, and, and not just, just just let it go into the sewers and go out to the ocean. Because what, what they say there was like thirty something trillion uh, gallons of water dropped in in the last storm that we had in California. A lot of yeah, water. and and we while we have been uh, you know getting some of that water into the ground. Uh, they're still, you know, we could st- still do a better job. And apparently there's a big uh, frenzy in the Central Valley to build basins, the recharge basins to hold the water. And we have issued a few permits to, you know, for people to be able to flood their, their ag lands. Uh, so we are making progress, but no, we, we definitely need to do better uh, and we need to be better prepared to take these big uh, these big storms and put that water away. And one of the one of the ways that they're planning on doing that is this is where this new reservoir they're talking about Sites Reservoir. Um, this is where it comes in. And Sites Reservoir is what they call an offstream reservoir. So it's not built across a river or a creek or something. It's not obstructing a waterway. They have a, uh, a set of valley uh, away from the river that they're going to build this uh, this dam. And it's not actually a dam. It's more like, you know, three dams. Kind of like when they built Diamond Valley in Southern mm-hmm. California. You know, they had, it's a valley and they had to build up the sides, you know. So there's like about four dams, I think, at Diamond Valley. So it, it's going to be like that, and they're going to pump the water from the river into the reservoir when uh, the flows are high. And this is, I, I think this plan 
is pretty, you know, based on some good logic. Part of the problem that we have in California is all of our reservoirs are up in the mountains. And that's great for catching the snow melt, but there's so much rain that falls on the valley floor. And that's where the water, you know, needs to get, that's where the water theoretically goes rushing out to sea. Uh, it's, you know, it's hard to build reservoirs on the valley floor. It doesn't work so well. Um, Sites Reservoir is built to handle those flows on the valley floor. It's, you know, it will connect to the river, but, you know, and water will be pumped up to the reservoir. So, it, you know, I think it's kind of the, the type of project that we need to capture some of this water. The problem is there just aren't a lot of opportunities to build storage on, you know, that can catch these flows on the valley floor. So that's where, uh, you know, what they call flood mar. That's where flooding the ag fields for water, you know, groundwater recharge in the wintertime. That's where we're really trying to push now in the state. Well, we've got to do as much as we I, can. I mean, to, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. No, it's fine, Rob. <clears throat> I was trying to scan the your Maven's notebook because just it was a few weeks ago, I know, Chris, but there was an article referencing Flood Mar. Um, and, you know, it, it, this is a decades-old issue, right, Chris? I mean, you'll be the first one to agree to agree with that, right? Um, yeah. It just seems to, yeah, it just seems to, to so many people that, that you've got a you know a willing participant in the farmers who who are willing to help groundwater recharge. I mean, essentially, you know, that's what they're willing to do, right? If they could just get the water to um, uh, to do it. But you know, I get it. It's political. There's a lot of people with a stake in this, and you know, you've got everyone from scientists and and uh, pack groups and all that stuff, all with an interest uh, uh, in it. And then you've got the Water Commission, you know, those commissioners in there. They got it. Those guys have a tough job for sure, Chris. I mean, you know, who, who, who doesn't, who does not envy any one of those guys, right? Um, but figuring out how to use all that funding. Um, and this is funding that, that what, Chris? Some, some, all nearly 10 years old, some of this funding that still hasn't been allocated from back in, like, you know, 2014 when, uh, when voters approved the, those other initiatives so i guess what i'm I'm getting to the question is why does it take so long well it's you know some of some of it was because written into the language of the legislation in that uh proposition prop one that was i think what 2014 um 2014 yeah yeah they had specific uh like there was a a uh stipulation that the water commission couldn't disperse any money until a certain date and and it was a couple years out and i think that the reasoning behind this was that they wanted to give uh people a chance to get their projects together to you know get amongst themselves and propose projects for these water storage funds and you know when they when they issued this money they weren't expecting shovel ready projects 
right? A, a lot of sure. some of these projects were just proposed. Now sure. the groundwater projects, those those ones will be uh, completing soon. Their groundwater projects are easier. There's much less infrastructure. You know, they're they they don't cost as much. Uh, so they're you know they're finishing up. Well, I think the first groundwater project is going to be coming before the Water Commission for their final funding award in the middle of this year, probably summertime. So, you know, that money is starting to move. But the very large reservoirs, um, it just takes time uh, to engineer, uh, you know, it, 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 to, you have to design it, you have to do the geotechnical work to make sure it's going to stand. Um, and you have you have to do feasibility reports and, and all kinds of things that you really have to do. And a case in point would be um, this reservoir Pacheco Reservoir, which at the time when they went in front of the Water Commission to get a funding award, <laughs> excuse me, um, people were very enthusiastic about this reservoir. Um, it, it it was would help some downstream flooding for in a disadvantaged community, um, seemed to have good support in the community, and it looked like it was it was going to go. It would have been water to benefit uh, San Jose. So, But now that they've gone along and they've done some geotechnical work, they found, uh-oh, it's on a, there's an earthquake fault there. And so this is just, made the whole uh, price of the project go up $2 billion now because, you know, now you're going to put a dam, you know, you where in earthquake, uh, you know, on an earthquake fault, you have to really make sure you, you do it right. And if it can be done, I don't know. So that project is really struggling. And I don't, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, but like Slice Reservoir, they, I think they're just about, uh, you know, they're getting through their environmental process and uh, working towards getting it built. But it's still going to be 2030 until, you know, that that reservoir is operational. Um, now, the Las Vaqueras Reservoir Project is raising that reservoir. And while that takes some some time to you know, will take some time to happen. It will be online sooner than the others. And the one thing about that project and why it, it is relatively speedier, actually, I believe they might be at the California Water Commission by the end of the year. But the reason yeah. why they're a little bit speedier is because when they built the, the reservoir in the first place, Los Vaqueros, they they plan to enlarge it to raise that dam not just once but twice and they have already raised it once so i believe i i'm since it was their intention in the beginning to raise that dam as time went on the a lot of the design work has already been done so they just had to do a little bit more and get their environmental documents together and and that project will be going forward soon, and and will be online a lot sooner. I don't remember what the timing is, but it's a much easier project. The Sites Reservoir, they got to build like three dams, <laughs> so right. there's a lot of work there. 
Yeah, there's other there's other dam projects that are getting funded as well, right? Like Anderson Dam. I mean, that's a retrofit, uh, I think. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. I if I remember right, but it's got it's it's received funding uh, federal loan just recently as well. Well, yeah that that is not one of the Prop One storage projects. That uh, that is um, they yeah they had to drain that reservoir down because of earthquake concerns. Right. And so right. it's being re-engineered. Uh, to be earthquake safe, and so yeah, they just got another loan um, to go forward, and that you know that's an existing res- reservoir that they're starting to you know that they're retrofitting. Uh, now another uh, project, dam project that's just finished up is uh, Lake Isabella, and oh, um, that's up above Bakersfield, and that lake they had to draw down again for earthquake reasons. And that has been, I gotta say, at least a 10-year construction project to retrofit that dam. At least 10 years. I remember going camping with my kids out of the KOA campground out there that that advertised that it was, you know, near the lake, but it was nowhere near the lake. And they explained to me that if the lake was really there, then it would be much closer than it was, uh, <laughs> you know. And but it was a very nice, uh, very nice campground and very nice family that ran it. But my kids were, you know, my kids that that was it had to be like elementary school, middle school because you know by the time they got to high school, we weren't really doing the camping thing anymore. So, you know, it's been some time. So. They finished that project and just in time for this nice wet year. So hopefully, you know, they'll they'll be able to get some water into Lake Isabella this year. Well, that's much needed. Hey, much I, needed. I, I, I heard that uh, McCarthy is slamming Newsom about the water policies. What's that all about? Is that is that just oh, a political? Yeah. Is that just a political thing, or do they? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it it's the it's kind of the same old same old. The Republicans uh generally feel that water is being wasted out to the sea and and uh you know, I I can understand that point of view, uh but also though, you know, that that water needs to flow out and you know, out of the delta. Some water needs to flow out of the delta because you know, there's an environment out there too, and people that count on that. And the San Francisco Bay needs some influx of fresh water too. So, you know, it's 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 hard. That it California is it's just a struggle between three things: water for the cities, water for ag, and water for the environment. And I don't think any one group thinks that and that the other should get nothing, uh, but it's just how much, you know. Do you, uh, do you, do you think the problem, the problem, I mean, is communication to the public to understand that situation better? Um, well, it always helps to have an educated public, but it, you know, this water stuff is is really hard, and you have to really sit down and and try and figure it out or, or listen to it and try and see all the nuances. And for a lot of people, they just, 
don't like that kind of texture in, in their problems. They have, you know, oh, just desalinate, get it over with, or, you know. They have, they propose very simplistic solutions to what is really and truly a very complex situation. I mean, we need to up, we need to upgrade our water system where it's set up to capture snow in the mountains and we're not getting so much snow in the mountains. So we need to retool. We need to change the way we do things. And it's, but exactly how to do that is very, very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> hey, one more thing, Rob, before we go, I'm going to, I'm going to speak to Chris about, because we talked, Chris, we talked about this a few months ago, probably four or five months ago, but we ought to do a segment, right? on the third thing you mentioned about, you know, water for cities, water for agriculture, water for the environment, right? On the third one, water for the environment, because there's, there's a lot going on uh, in the next five to eight, maybe even 10 years on restoration projects. And I know that there's restoration grants that are becoming available finally now, some of that money, be, money being allocated for that. I don't mm-hmm. know, let's get your opinion, Chris. I think it'd be a good subject for, uh, you know, for part of the segment especially um, last time we talked about, you know, instead of cutting the red tape, I think that article was entitled Cutting the Green Tape. Um, yeah. What do and you think, Chris? I, I think it would be a great topic. Uh, you know, hopefully the listeners uh, would agree. Um, yeah, there's, uh, you know, it, it's a very, it, 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 it would be hard to cover it in detail in, in a segment, but we yeah, certainly we it. certainly could, you know. We certainly yeah, I, could I, discuss I that. We, we, I think we should start again to open up for uh, coming, incoming calls uh, for questions yeah. for that, because there's things that we all know because we're in the industry, but there's things outside the industry that people don't know about. I think that would be a great thing to, to get back to doing. So mm-hmm. maybe we do that uh, the next couple shows. So. Or you know yeah. what else you can do is we could have people email in their questions. Well, yeah, they, yeah, they do that. They do that now. Chris reads those a lot yeah. and, and, and presents. Yeah, them, so. they do that. Yeah, I pretty much that. cover the chat board and the incoming messages for each show, so so we see it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take our take our commercial break, and, and Chris, we have to bid you goodbye till next week, and I hope you have a uh, a wet weekend <laughs> and uh you you stay personally dry uh safe and dry and uh don't be driving in the crazy floods we appreciate you uh, being on the show every week all so, right um, so take care and we'll talk to you next week all right good night everybody good night have a great all right, week, we're going to take, take our uh, commercial break and we'll be back with a special featured guest and uh, so stick around it will be an interesting conversation and uh we'll we'll see you in the 90 seconds KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that needs no listener behind. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. 
Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623-594-8689. Five nine four eight six eight nine. This is KCAA. Hey, well, all right, everybody. Welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone Radio Show. Um, Today, we are, uh, we've got a great guest coming up. It's somebody, it's a colleague of both uh, Rob and I know, and we're absolutely glad to have him on the show. But before we do that, I'm going to I'm gonna take a couple of minutes, Rob, if you don't mind, and um, let our listeners know about the Irrigation Association Technicians Week. So many people don't know this, and I, and I had a conversation earlier this week with the IA staff and they asked me if we'd do a little kind of like a PSA form. So just for our listeners, if you're not aware, um, coming up first just uh, first and second week of March, I think the dates are March 6th through 10th, the IA, the Irrigation Association, is holding its annual Technicians Week. So this is a chance for anybody out there, at whatever level you are in the irrigation industry, it's an excellent chance for you to take courses, uh, you know, just to become certified, right? These are virtual, expert-led, virtual-level courses. You can, you know, learn a whole bunch more about this if you go to irrigation.org. That's irrigation.org, right? This is an opportunity for our listeners to take their a career, right, learn a little bit more, get certified, become more valuable to employees, and take their uh, career to the next level. All right, Rob, you want to take it away and introduce our next guest? Absolutely. I'm very excited to have a gentleman, one of our peers that we work with, and somebody that I'm very proud to say that I know. And uh, his name is, can you guess who it is? Do you know who this is, Chris? I do. I think I do, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it is Brian Witcher. Absolutely. Right. I wanted you to say that. Yeah, Brian Witcher is an awesome guy, and he is a specification manager for the Toro Company. 
And what I thought we'd do today is, is do something a little different and, and kind of go through a day in the life of an irrigation specification manager. So, Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, good evening to, uh, to everyone and to uh, Chris and, uh, and Rob. So happy to be on the show. Yeah, I, I like to fool around with you. You're, you're a good guy to work with. And I've been on lots of things with you and, and with customers, and uh, you are awesome. But but to start off the thing, because there's a lot of people listening who may be in the business and or may may think they want to be in the business, but can you give us how you got to be in the water industry? Yeah, so um, it kind of started, uh, well, it started when, when I was in high school. Uh, I, I'm, I was an avid golfer on the golf team, and and uh, in, in high school, and so the best way to get free golf whenever you want is to uh, go to work on a golf course. So I started in the maintenance department on, the, on a golf course and got to play whenever I wanted, and um, or when I wasn't working at least, and uh, you know got to be on the maintenance side of things and, and kind of was was more interested in the in the uh, uh, the cultural aspect, the, the agronomy of, of growing turf grass, and a big part of that is usage and the water management of, of the greens, the fairways, of, of the different grass types and everything. So I was just really, really drawn to it. So um, so I started on the golf course uh, side of the business. Uh, actually didn't realize there was a, a college degree for it till, till a couple of years uh, after and um, uh, really got involved in, 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 in growing grass and, and understanding the cultural aspects and the requirements of it. And then uh, got up through, uh, continued that on through uh, the uh, time as a contractor, distribution, and now on the manufacturing side. So it's just something I've done ever since high school. It's been on the, uh, you know, cultural side of, of growing plants and, and growing grass and, and um, you know, the, the water management, water usage side of it. Now, I have to admit, when, when I go with you to see customers, it's, it's wonderful to see somebody who understands the technology and what it takes to do the job and it's not you're, you're not just going in there and, and, and trying to sell them something I mean that's part of the part of the job but in order to, to to understand what their needs are you have to listen very carefully to them and then you comment on them whether they're going in the right direction or maybe you have a, a better way of doing something that you, you let them know about some new technology and it, it, is that is that what would you take out of that, or, or is there other stumbling blocks between the between the prospective customer and and, and a manufacturer? No, so so the way the, the way I, that I approach um, just everything, uh, kind of kind of my life, my life, and, and it, it, it flows into my work life too. Is, is being a solutions provider. You know, um, I, I think I bring a lot of knowledge, a lot of uh, experience to this this industry. To this, uh, you know, to, to this market, and and I like to be viewed as, as somebody that can provide solutions. And if if the products I sell can be that solution, then um, then then so be it. Um, if they can't, I, I want to make sure that I can offer you know uh, the best possible solution. You know, other than that, um, because I, I heard on on your previous segment, you know, education is a big part of it. And, and, and if we can educate the users and, and, and the people in the market and our users of, of the technology and, and of, you know, good cultural habits, you know, I, we, we're all going to benefit. 
Um, so so I, I just view myself as, as becoming a, a solutions provider and, uh, you know, making sure that the, uh, that the users uh, are, are, are highly educated or as educated as possible when, when you know, making a decision. The, the, the best decision, you know, you can make is when you have a lot of information. So I try and give people information when, when they're making, uh, you know, a decision whether to purchase or, or purchase A or B or, or even get into the market. I just want to make sure that they're, they're uh, well-educated and, and have a lot of um, information to make a, a quality informed decision. So th- that's kind of how, how, how I go to market and, and how I, you know, view customers is, is just to try and provide them a, a, a lot of information and, and say, hey, you know, this solution might be, you know, the best applicable for, for what you're trying to accomplish. You know, I, I, um, Brian, let's dig a little deeper, Brian, because, um, you know, we, 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 we kind of got an idea of what you do. Let's tell our listeners where, where you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell our listeners where you are. You're kind of, uh, you manage the territory in the southwest. I'll let you give a little more detail for that, right? But, you you know, just tell, tell us, you know, what a typical day is. I mean, you don't call on homeowners and stuff like that. You've got kind of a different clientele, right? Yeah, so, so well, yeah, my, my clientele are, are, are essentially... Um, uh, we'll call them project owners and and uh, you know specifications. So somebody that's that's looking to do a, a larger project to manage uh, a good amount of water. So you're you're right, not not a homeowner, but you know maybe an HOA or maybe a contractor that manages multiple properties, as well as uh, specifiers. Well, specifiers can be municipalities or architects or or somebody that's looking to um, create a, a, a a water conservation you know. Uh, um, project uh utilizing you know the latest technology so um so that's kind of my target customer um kind of the areas that i focus on are the southwest although it it seems to be growing every day you know um arizona las vegas uh utah colorado new mexico el paso but you know i'm i'm now working on projects in uh in wyoming and montana so the the um uh, the, the geographic territory is, is ever is, is getting ever bigger. Uh, you know, as uh, as as I'm getting more and more involved with uh, some of these projects and customers. Yeah, you are, as you said, in the southwest, right? I mean, that's you know, that's mainly the area yeah. where you where you work in. So let's you know, let's talk about conservation uh, a bit. There's a ton we can talk about, uh, Brian, as you know. But let's just get on this for a little bit because I know that that our listeners would, would would be interested. So, you know, you live and you work in essentially a desert area, right? So um, Phoenix has got the Salt, Salt River Project. Uh, just generally in the area, there's a high dependence on uh, groundwater utilization, right? That's what that's the, the bulk of where the where the water comes from. So, so kind of starting off the conversation here, you know, all of us have been, unless you live in a cave, right? <laughs> we know that there's there's been a drought and there's water scarcity it's becoming an increasingly uh, high-profile issue, not not just for your area. I'm sure everybody knows all all around the world as well. And water conservation kind of kind of percolated to the top as one of the more important considerations, especially for uh, government policy. Right. So um, as that's happening, we've had lots of people on the program that have talked about how slow some of the um, industry participants like manufacturers, utilities, and even technology developers, how slow they've been to uh, adapt to conservation. Do you see 
see that in your territory, or or do you believe that your territory is is uh, up to speed? So I, you know, I I I, I for, from my perspective, I think you know the manufacturers and the municipalities have been actually very quick to respond, um, and 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 adapting and and working with you know the new technologies when it comes to water conservation when it comes to you know those technologies. I think they've been very quick to respond. Um, I think kind of the, um, you touched it on the previous segment, kind of the, the slower side of things, the, the, the slower uptake has been, you know, the education yeah. piece. It's, it's being the users. It's being, you know, um, not to call it a particular group, but, but the homeowners and, and, and you, know, um, you know, some of the users that are, that are, that are uh, adapting this technology. So, I mean, we've had, you know, basic uh, rain sensors for, you know, 25 years. That that is just a basic on-off technology. When it rains, it shuts the controller off. Those have been around for for 25 years, and and I'm still, you know, flabbergasted that you know um, um, that that home builders and, and homeowners still don't utilize that basic on-off technology. It, it's been around for for years from a manufacturer. So, um, you know, we have gone, we have developed, you know. Systems that you now use ET and 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 you know calculate ET on a daily basis and soil moisture systems come a long way. That technology has you know been around now for you know eight, ten, twelve years, and we're still trying to get it into the mainstream you know of, of the high water use users, and it's and it's it's still not uh, being uh, you know adopted uh, at a pace that I think could be adopted and. It's, it's, I think it comes down to education and, and letting people know that it's what, what's available, what's out there, and, 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 and how to incorporate it into their daily lives. You know, they were, they were, yeah, I agree. To, oh, go, go ahead, Chris. No, I was just going to, I know, I was just going to say that I agree with, with Brian, right? Because, I mean, you know, the, the question I asked Brian, as you can tell by now, was kind of targeted to give you the opportunity to, to tell our listeners how, how well, um, your territories, Arizona particularly, had, uh, has adopted, uh, to that kind of stuff it's not the same all over the country as most of our listeners who who have been on previous shows you know i've heard from um from other guests but uh but it is in but it is in arizona and maybe it's because you know those areas where where uh you know the drought issues are abrupt right in your face right i mean it it, it just it just creates a sense of urgency by itself where other places where conservation other areas or or parts of the country or parts of the world where conservation is not such an urgent issue um i think that's where you know it takes a little more time for uh, adaptation of technologies and for manufacturers to respond and stuff like that um i don't know do you see it that do you see it that way rob or brian well the question i was going to ask brian i was going to ask brian was you know we talked about the adoption stuff well you see all across the country hot or cold weather territory they all adopted low-flow toilets and, and faucets and shower heads and things. Do you, do you think, Brian, that those industries are more powerful and pushing harder with, like, the EPA and things? I know the EPA does obviously work with irrigation products, but we seem to be the last one, like you said, with the, with the uh, uh, shutoffs for the, uh, sensors or for rain sensors. They've been around a long time, and yet... You know, a lot of builders, they put in smart controllers, but some of them don't have ways to, to check to see on real time 
about if it rains. You know, they'll shut it off if they get a weather report saying it may. There's some, there's some controllers that estimate what's going to happen in the future and make a decision on that versus waiting for the, the rain action to happen and actually have a shutoff switch to, to turn that off. Do, do, do you think that, that that in our industry is slower to push that getting adopted as uh, versus like the, like the toilets and such? Yeah, so I, I 100% agree with that. So in, in, in my channel that I work, um, you know, with the specifiers and everything, I think, I think the architects do a, a tremendous job of designing and, and incorporating, you know, the technologies available to them to uh, put out a, 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 water con- a, a system that, that, that takes water conservation into account, utilizing, you know, weather stations and soil sensors and, and the technology that's out there. Um, but, but what I see many times is when it gets to uh, the point of, um, you know, after the drawing, it goes out to bid, you know, from a contractor. Um, at some point in time, somebody, you know, whether it's the developer, an investor, or something like that, says, wow, we're, we're over budget. Where can we cut? You know, where, where can we cut, you know, thousands of dollars off this project? And unfortunately, I see, you know, that the, the technology um, the add-on technology, the sensor technology, I'll call it, um, is as being uh, expendable and saying, oh, well, we don't need that. Uh, if we get eliminate, if we eliminate a weather station or we eliminate a, you know, the soil sensors or something like that, you know, we can save ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars off this project. So it's used, viewed as 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 expendable, um, you know, short-term gain, uh, but you know, um, the 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 HOA or 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 the commercial building, or whatever it is, they're going to end up paying for it in the long run because their water usage is going to be higher than what it should be. So, so there's there's a little bit of a you know sometimes of a disconnect. Like I said, the contractors are are willing to put it in, the specifiers, the architects are willing to install it, um, but but at some point in time throughout the project life cycle, somebody says, hey, we need to you know cut some some dollars out, and you know they they look at the entire project. Can we reduce the turf size? No, we won't, we need turf or you know, smaller trees, or there's a value engineering that goes on, and and unfortunately, the technology of the the sensor technology is, is one of the first uh, on the chopping block that that ends up going away. Because yeah, the cost of a new home, I mean, one of the the, the the lowest amount of money to spend is with the irrigation system. And I find like, oh, like where I live, yeah, like where I live, I mean, yeah, you've been, you, 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 go ahead. Yeah, especially here in Phoenix. I mean, in, in Phoenix, our, our front yard is is a controller of black flow, back flow, and you know, if if it's two valves, that that's a big front yard, and it's all drip, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, it, the the cost is minimal. It's it's it, it, you know, it, uh, if if it's a thirty year mortgage or a fifteen year mortgage, you're talking pennies, uh, you know, a month. And and you know, I, I would love to see home builders, um, uh, you know, and, and developers that 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 uh, of the HOA. You know, um, you know, incorporate and, and utilize that technology that uh, you know is, is water conservation because that's only going to save the homeowner money, uh, and honestly, save everybody you know downstream of that you know water in the future because we have to conserve or you know we're, we're going to be in a whole lot worse situation than we are now for sure. Yeah, you know, Brian, let me. Sorry, we're all remote here, so go ahead. Rob, yeah, so I was just going to ask Brian because I know. This- close to his uh close to his heart as it is mine as you know as, as well rob but let me ask you a question on the commercial side because you know where you're at in a, in a drought area and you're talking about the reduction of turf and everything being drip and all that kind of stuff let's let me ask you a question about 
synthetic turf and you know and it's used in your territory brian i know there's a lot to this subject and and, and we don't have enough time to cover it but do, do you see a ton of com- a lot of conversion a ton of conversion or just a little bit from natural to synthetic turf yeah, so it, it's getting to be more and more popular, um, and, and the conventional wisdom is is a, is a financial decision, obviously. Um, uh, but I, of course, it, it's funny because I, I've talked to some uh, uh, to some users that have put in synthetic turf recently, and um, and 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 not put in irrigation. So out here in, in the desert southwest, you have to uh, you you really should consider putting uh, irrigation around the synthetic turf because it just gets so hot. I have an 11-year-old son who plays baseball, and he plays on synthetic turf. And we've had a couple games where, you know, the the, the, the adhesive on his shoes is melting because the synthetic turf is, is getting so hot. So uh, just for cooling purposes, you, you really need to, you know, consider, um, you know, keeping it cooler. And, and the only effective way we can do that right now is, is through through uh, irrigation. So even though you do synthetic and 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 there are some advantages to using it it's not a hey we never have to turn on irrigation again that that's not the case so there's going to be some maintenance and, and some requirements of, of of installing an irrigation system you know around synthetic especially here in the desert southwest well you know synthetic turf is like solar panels there's thousands of companies cropping up and coming to your door to try to sell you that and you know some of these companies you sign up with and Three years later, they're out of business, and then they come up with a new name and, and move it along. It's the same thing with the with the astroturf. Um, do you do you see a lot of that still happening in in, in in the valley, say in Phoenix area? Yeah, so so there's there's quite a few uh, synthetic turf companies um, and and people installing them, um, and um, you know so so there there is going to be more competition because the demand is is getting higher i mean you know from from an aesthetic point of view you know people still like green grass they still like looking at you know green grass not everybody but a lot of people still do um so so from from an aesthetic from a curb a curb appeal standpoint you know there still is going to be a need for that that green looking grass and uh so um the competition is 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 ever growing um and and honestly the development of the synthetic is, is continuing to evolve the technology behind it it is it is very different now than it was 15 years ago when I was selling it through distribution. I mean, it is, it, it's crazy the, the amount of um, uh, uh, a technology that goes in the synthetic turf right now to, to have that realistic feel and, and uh, the infill that go into it and things like that. It's, it's amazing how far we've come in 10 years on the synthetic turf side. Right. Yeah, and you got to, we're going to tell our listeners too, you got to be really careful about what you're buying out there because, you know, there's very, there's good quality. There's not so good quality, and then there's absolute, you know, quote unquote, crap out there. I mean, you know, I've seen, I've, as you know, uh, I got a family member in Phoenix, so I'm out there quite a bit, right? And you can drive by and see these guys. Oh, artificial turf, 75 cents a square foot. Um, what are you getting for that, <laughs> Ryan? Yeah, it's 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 like with anything, you know. There's there's a there's a good, better, and best, and you know, just like with anything, with you know, light bulbs and and batteries, you know, it's. Uh, you just 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 like with anything with any consumer consumer uh, product you know and and just be careful and and do your research and and you know make make sure that the investment you're making is is at a comfort level that that you want to be at right so um it, not all turf is, is created equal that's for sure 
that that's a great point, Brian. And you know, lastly, I'm going to ask you here is, you know, um, when people like you go out and, and, and work with people to be your specification manager, you know, uh, a lot of times it's a price issue, and, and and a lot of people go out and that's all they care about is making the sale, and they try to undercut and do that. And like you said, you get what you pay for. How do you approach a customer price versus quality and, and performance? Yeah, so it's interesting. So I, I just had this discussion with a colleague today, and 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 you know, um, there, there's a lot of uh, there's companies out there now that that teach um, you know that that our product is easier, so it's better, and you know it's easier to use, easier to adjust, easier to whatever, and and which is fine. I mean, that that, that might be one of the marketing points. Um, however, you know, is easy always better? You know, and that's the question I, I ask them. You know, when, when you dig into it and, and you look and, and you look at, you know, the, the specifications or the performance or the warranty or the, you know, um, uh, at Toro, um, I, I've learned, you know, uh, the, um, the cost of ownership. We talk about the cost of ownership. It, it might be cheaper today, but in 10, you know, if you want that product to last 10 years, how many times? Are you going to replace that less expensive product? Oh, you're going to have to replace it three times. Well, my product, if, you know, if if, the, if if it's expected to last ten years, you never have to replace it. So, how much is that cheaper product that you're that you're saving, you know, uh, a dollar on today, but you have to replace it three times in ten years? It's going to cost you, you know, fifty percent more, uh, you know, over the cost of ownership, over the cost of you know the, the lifetime cost of the ownership. So. It's 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 something that 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 that's how I approach it when when people talk about well I can do it cheaper I can do it cheaper and I said you can always do it cheaper but you know the cost of ownership over the over the lifetime of that product you know where's that going to be where's that going to leave you so you know just make sure that you you do your research and you know again with water conservation you can put in a cheaper product now but is it going to help you conserve water if you use more water in the beginning you know, uh, over 10 years, how much is that water going to cost you 10 years later? So it's all about cost of ownership. And, and that's one of the things that I've learned from the Toro company many, many years ago. And and, and that's, that's one of my taglines I use is, is the cost of ownership. You got it. Well, we got about uh, 15 seconds left. Brian, thank you very much for bringing your expertise to the thing. Love working with you. You're a good man. One of the most respected people I know in the business. And thanks for joining us today on the, on the uh, Water Zone. And uh, Chris and I want to wish everybody a good evening. And most important things we tell you to do is please help keep your planet blue. You like green? You got to have blue. KCAA Loma Linda. Loma, Loma, Loma.